I have to get Wayne Berger on, CEO for the Americas of IWG. Wayne, good morning. Good morning, Hal. Thanks for having me. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. So talk about this third location for you in Winnipeg. You're expanding and and right across the country, so there has to be a demand for these hybrid workspaces. Yeah, absolutely, Hal. uh, Winnipeg's been a great market for us for the last 20 years, actually. We've operated in Winnipeg with our first location at Portage. We opened up a second location in 2015, close to Porridge in the St. Mary's build on St. Mary Avenue. Um, and we've been looking to continue to expand. We've actually looked to expand a number of years, specifically in some of the suburban markets, but also within the exchange district. And we're really excited to announce that we're adding our third location in the exchange district in Winnipeg. And, and actually also our first HQ branded location which will be at 93 Lombard Avenue. We're seeing anticipated growth continue to come in for flexible workspace, which uh, which has been exciting to be able to continue to grow the market here in Winnipeg. You've got two Regis locations. Explain the difference between Regis and now the HQ location. Yeah, so the biggest difference uh, that I would explain to the listeners is almost picture um, a hotel brand, for example, like Marriott, where you'll have a JW Marriott, you'll have a a Marriott Courtyard or, or a uh, Spring Hill Suite. So the biggest difference between our HQ and our Regis locations is really more so in the bit of the design and the fit out. What, what our clients have come to expect from our Regis locations is um, very professional, dynamic um, build out of space uh, for workers and for companies. Um, Lots of soft seating and hardwoods and uh, booths and offices and meeting rooms, et cetera. So you'll, you'll see a lot of that in our traditional Regis locations. And HQ is not that far off. It just, we normally, the invested capital to build an HQ location versus a Regis location is, is a little bit less, uh, which helps us drive a lower price point. So what this will provide for workers and companies in Winnipeg who are looking to um, to offer up their office space for their workers in the exchange in the exchange district or throughout downtown is a lower lower price point. So our HQ offering is normally about twenty five percent less than our than our Regis location. So still great productive workspace, very, very beautifully laid out. All the amenities that a person would look for in their office space or in their flexible workspace, just at a lower price point. Gotcha. And why is the demand growing? And and not just here, Wayne, but right across the country as you expand with 13 of these HQ locations across the country, one here in Winnipeg. What? Why now? Well, it's been extraordinary, Hal. I'll, I'll say the, the biggest reason why is people and companies are looking at work and workspace completely differently than where they were prior to the pandemic. So to give you an idea, at IWG, we operate 150 co-working and flexible workspace locations across the country, from literally Victoria all the way to Halifax, Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, spanning 50 cities. And, the, and, and our business has tripled in size over the last eight years, and that's because People and companies are working differently. Companies are are, are taking less uh, workspace under traditional leases, which are very rigid, very, very costly. 
um, you know, it costs the company millions of dollars to be able to sign a lease and then build out their office space. But what's happening now is people want complete flexibility in how, when, and where they work. Uh, and, and companies are supporting their employees' needs to be able to work in a very flexible way. To, to give you a couple of stats, 88% of companies in Canada have now instituted a flexible working policy for their workers because 90% of the Canadians are demanding it. What they want is to eliminate the unnecessary commute five days a week into a downtown office, but come in when it's only necessary and purposeful. So as companies now are shifting away from having their employees come in five days a week to one office, they're asking their people to come together when it's necessary or when there's a value which means their need for office space looks completely different. What they're looking for now is the ability to sign simple rental agreements, to rent space by the hour, by the day, for a month, maybe for a couple of years, versus long 10-year leaseholds. And that, that in turn is what our business model offers. So we, we're the largest provider of flexible workspace globally and also certainly here in Canada we give companies the ability to take space on their terms versus long terms, um, which has been quite uh, quite exciting. And so, Wayne, what does that mean for our downtown or downtowns right across the country? Because, you know, since the pandemic, we're trying to get people to come back downtown. Here you are opening up a location at 93 Lombard. That's downtown. That's in the Exchange District. Um, weigh in on the downtowns of this country and, and including ours here in Winnipeg. What's the, what's the future hold? Well, the downtown, I'm very opportunistic on downtown over the future, but I will say that right now we are in a period of fundamental change. Um, downtown Winnipeg office vacancy rates have rose above 17%. Um, and that's just actually below the national average but it's the highest level in three decades. Downtowns are changing. They're shifting away from traditional financial districts. And what we need to do within downtown is really start to shift to a, a different, more, I'll call it malleable type of approach uh, in which it has to be less reliant on nothing but these traditional leases. We have to have more mixed-use type of environments. Because what's interesting about downtown is as vacancy rates rise, the demand for space is actually still going up. It's just coming in at a different type of pace. People are not interested in companies are looking to rationalize the real estate portfolio, and they're not interested in making these long-term commitments. So um, what's happening right now downtown across the country is people still see tremendous value in coming into downtown for all the, the vibrancy reasons that downtown traditionally offers. Uh, for different events. Um, but what they're, what people are absolutely moving away from are long, unproductive, unnecessary commutes five days a week. So what we're seeing, what we're trying to offer a solution to downtown in which the workspace is still available when companies and people need it and where people live and work, they spend and they invest. And that's why each one of the amenities, the coffee shops, the restaurants, the event facilities, to all the service providers, it all drives great economic growth. So it's really critical at this time, not just in Winnipeg, but across the country in Canada, that we're continuing to shift how the downtown economy works, adding more flexibility in. It's going to attract people to come in, 
at, with, with a different type of investment. And Wayne, before I let you go, when's the new HQ open at 93 Lombard? Well, we're excited to announce that it should be open March 2024. And while we're working on this new HQ location, the Exchange District, we are also working on a number of additional locations uh, that we're hoping to announce here in the near term, in the near term future uh, throughout Winnipeg, both downtown as well as the suburbs. Wayne, thanks very much. Thanks for having us, Al. That is Wayne Berger with IWG, the company opening opening its third hybrid co-working space in downtown Winnipeg early in the new year. Joining me now, the president of the think tank Second Street at secondstreet.org, Colin Craig. Colin, good morning. Good morning, Hal. Nice to chat with you again. So we talked a while ago about this idea of reimbursement for Canadians for surgery performed abroad. It happens in other countries, not here in Canada. You've now done a survey on this. Give us the results. Yeah, so it's, it was uh, interesting to see 74% of Canadians like this idea. And as you mentioned, some other countries do this. It's actually a right that all patients in the European Union have. They have the right to go to another European Union country, pay for surgery, and then be reimbursed by their home country for up to what that home country would have spent to normally provide the procedure locally. So it's one way that patients in the EU can avoid long waiting lists. And uh, we think it's an idea that uh, could be uh, helpful here in Canada. What's the holdup? Because I do think it's a good idea. I, I'm surprised. I thought the number might even be higher than that. It makes sense. Here in Manitoba, we continue to have a long wait list for surgeries. Why isn't this happening here? It happens elsewhere. It makes so much sense. And the people get the surgeries they need quickly, more quickly. You know, it's it's a very good question. I mean, we certainly think there's there's merit to this idea. I think governments are you know, sometimes slow to respond to different issues and they can take a while to come around to ideas. That's probably what's happening. Uh, You know, certainly all your listeners can ask their MLAs about this idea and see what they think about it. But, uh, you know, like I say, I think there's a lot of merit to it. It's it's not a perfect solution. How there's no perfect solution out there right now, but the system is in crisis and this could immediately help patients uh, avoid uh, long wait times could help them get out of suffering with chronic pain whatever I mean we, we know what patients go through when they're on long waiting lists it can be terrible terrible stories out there it's not ethical to just keep patients languishing on waiting lists so this option isn't for everyone in the European Union it's a voluntary choice that people can do if they want to but uh, it would help all patients because it's not just the patient that travels abroad for surgery that benefits it's everyone behind them on the waiting list. When they leave the government's waiting list, then everyone else gets to move up a spot in line. So if you get a lot of people deciding to pursue this option, then you could really start to reduce wait times here in Canada. And as you said, even if it was a temporary measure, right? Even if we said, you know what, it's bad, we're going to do this for a period of time, get caught up, and, and then maybe look harder at it as a possible solution permanently or or long-term. You know, I talk about... Um, homelessness in winnipeg quite often on this show and um doing what we're doing now costs more than doing what we should do on that issue i wonder about this issue 
I think it might have the potential to save tax dollars. I don't know. Do you know? You know, I think that's definitely an option. And actually, the the reason why we got looking into this whole issue was from a a story from uh, Winnipeg, actually. There's a patient that went to Lithuania. His name is Max Johnson, and the media reported on his case. And what happened was he calculated that he could go to Lithuania, get his knee surgery done for, I believe he said it was around $20,000, and that the Manitoba government would normally spend about $20,000 on that procedure. So that would actually be cheaper for the government to pay to send him over to Lithuania, get his surgery done, come back, than it would be to provide the, the care in uh, Manitoba. So, um, you know, that, that's what inspired us to go down this road and learn more about what they're doing over in the European Union and how patients there have this right. But, uh, you know, just I, I think there are cost savings, not just from that way, how that, that could be realized. But also, sometimes when you make a patient wait so long, they develop all kinds of complications. So then the, right. the government has to treat those complications on top. You also have patients that, if they're dealing with chronic pain, they're, they're not working. So they're not paying taxes into the system and so forth. Their, their lives are getting ruined, essentially, while they're on a long wait time. So there's all kinds of other benefits by getting patients the care they need faster and I think if the system kind of realigns a bit, puts patients right at the very heart and center of the system, then uh, this idea is a no-brainer. Is it because this smells too much like, you know, uh, health care, universal health care, you know, is um, so many people feel strongly about it here in Canada. Is it because this idea, 74% of Canadians in this poll say they like the idea of reimbursement for surgery abroad. So I think people are into it. You talked about how governments can move slowly at times. Are they moving slowly on this because it smells too much like privatized health care? It, it could be. I mean, you know, we need to think, too, I, I think about what Manitoba's been doing over the past uh, year or so is that they've been sending patients to private providers in Cleveland and California right. and British Columbia. So the Manitoba government, in, in many ways, it, it's kind of there. The difference between their approach and what the European approach does is that in Manitoba, you have the government figuring out all these contracts, and there could be some benefits to that if they can negotiate a good rate. But in the EU, it's the patient that figures out what works best for them. So, I mean, it could be the case that someone in Manitoba has a relative with a place down in Arizona, and they could go down there and get the care they need in a relatively uh, low-cost manner. So when you put uh, when you empower patients, I think you end up with some, some different results. But one thing I think that's worthwhile to think about in this is that right now, when patients are on long waiting lists, the wealthy can escape those long waiting lists. They have the resources to travel abroad and pay for surgery. Often you hear of middle-class Canadians doing the same. They can go out and borrow funds or find a way to to pay for the surgery they need. But so often it's lower-income Canadians that get left behind, and this would especially empower lower-income Canadians because suddenly they would have access to thousands of dollars and could potentially escape these uh, long waiting lists where too often people are languishing and suffering. Colin, thanks a lot. People can find out more at secondstreet.org. Yep, that's correct. Thanks, I'll always appreciate the chat. Colin Craig, president of the think tank Second Street. Again, the website is secondstreet.org. Text message 780-6868. How? Why wouldn't we do a hybrid private-public model for at least surgeries instead of people having to travel abroad and take their money 
elsewhere. Doug says that becomes two-tier medicine, Hal. We would get surgeries quicker here if we allowed those who could pay to skip the queue. Keep weighing in on this if you want. 780-6868. According to this survey, 74% of Canadians think that, sure, good idea. Let's reimburse people for surgeries elsewhere, surgeries abroad. And I want to talk about this new survey from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business and how crime is impacting small business owners here in Winnipeg and Manitoba. Take a listen to the CFIB here. More than half of Manitoba businesses, they've been impacted by crime and safety issues. Um, And again, also, like you said, they're dealing with a lot of issues like vandalism, theft, waste, litter, loitering. And 80% almost are worried about the safety of their customers and employees. So that's raising a lot of concerns. Um, And while small businesses, they've tried to be, you know, they've demonstrated a very high level of social responsibility. um, They're not first responders or social workers. So it is a very tough challenging time for them currently. Um, I've even heard from business owners telling me that they've had to spend over three to $4,000 on just security alone. So the costs are adding up and it's becoming a really damaging for their mental health as well. Sarin Yu at the CFIB. Joining us now to talk about it, the president and CEO of the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce, Lauren Remillard. Lauren, good morning. Good morning, Hal. No surprise, right? I mean, you know, 45%, almost half of small business owners in Winnipeg and Manitoba say crime is a serious concern for their business. You know, there are other findings as well. Not surprising, if anything, I suspected the numbers would be higher. The numbers are higher. I find that number a little low because it's how you define crime. There's, of course, violent crime, property crime, uh, theft, You know, and it's not just a small business issue. When you may recall, of course, during the the time when we saw a significant spike in theft at uh, liquor locations, and we convened a summit in partnership with the Retail Council and other groups with Winnipeg Police to talk about this, there was one national company, I won't say the name, that had shared with me that, you know, people think of, you know, shoplifting in a chocolate bar. I mean, a lot of kids, when we were younger, maybe you, you, you lifted a chocolate bar. And he said, you know, the cost of that, you might not think is that large, but for their company, it was costing them $1 million a year in lost inventory, just on chocolate bars alone. So again, when you factor in all the ways we define crime, uh, many businesses, I would argue the vast majority are seeing uh, increased rates of crime. And it it is definitely something that is affecting not just a company's profitability, but entire neighborhoods. As companies struggle with crime, Um, you start to see the hollowing out of community where businesses are either silently closing their door and moving to an area that they perceive to be perhaps less prone to crime or they they collapse, they they foreclose. And then what you have is a lot of vacant buildings and the businesses that are left there are left to struggle, not only just with the crime that caused the other businesses to close, but now there's fewer businesses and it's darker at night, it would seem. Uh, There's just a lot of things that come into play when we talk about crime and its impact on business. 
Yeah, and on top of that, it's not just the business owner that's impacted by crime, and you explain some ways that that happens. It's the people that work for that small business uh, owner, right? And now they're out of work and trying to find another job at a time when things are so tough. The, the, the effect on the staff is the number one concern for a business owner. It is hard, first and foremost, to attract and retain staff, even in good circumstances. Add to that, perhaps your business is you know, being the victim of repeated crime, property or theft, or even violent crime in the place of business. We've heard some horrific stories of, of very young staff being victims of violent crime, and that's the first and foremost concern any business owner has. And you're right, it makes it very difficult uh, to keep those staff. The only way a lot of businesses are managing that somewhat is to increase rates of pay to somewhat compensate. But then that just you know becomes a, a vicious circle of increase in the cost of the business, putting increased pressure. Perhaps you have to offset some of that with increased prices of your goods and services, which perhaps further... Um, hurts your business's ability to compete and ultimately may lead to your business either moving or ultimately having to close its door. But uh, for staff to, I mean, so many that we see in these stories are are young workers, maybe their first, second job. Um, People have the right to be able to go to work and return home to their families safe and sound. So, Lauren, what are you saying to your members? What are your members saying to you? Uh, we, We all know that the cost of everything is through the roof right now. Small business, and we're talking small businesses right now. So small business owners deal with those increased costs as well. Crime costs money. Sometimes they don't have the money. Uh, the CFIB person spoke about uh, you know spending thousands on security. Some businesses aren't in a position to be able to do that. So how are your members handling this? What's the advice you're giving them as the leader of the chamber? There's definitely some things that are within their control and others that are just, you know, society, community-wide that we need to be part of the conversation. Specific to what a business can do, definitely want to take a look at the physical layout of your business. Say, for example, if you're a retail operation, um, you know, controlled points of entry, those sorts of things. Yes, there's a cost, but at the, you're in this for the long run as a business owner. So some of those costs you do have to absorb. Unfortunately, that is the nature of the world we live in. But there are other things that we're working with other levels of government to try to bring to the table. One we saw prior to the election was an announcement around increased police presence in the downtown and lighting program. Studies have shown time and time again that when there's darkness, literal physical darkness in places, that's where crime tends to to be most comfortable operating in. And if we can bring more lighting to various areas around your business, for example, it can really help deter crime. Um, But we also know, specifically to our downtown, increased residential presence. We need more people living and and playing downtown. The more feet we have on the street, the less comfortable criminals are in, you know, either perpetuating crimes against businesses or people. Um, You know, I think of Nuit Blanche. Thousands upon thousands of Winnipeggers downtown enjoying all sorts of uh, activities. I didn't hear a lot of people talking about feelings of safety and, and not because they were surrounded by thousands of people. That's what we need for all parts of our city, but in particular in our downtown.